This is no podcast music. Where's the NPR stuff? Marching band. Come on, man. The Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. Mail-in mayhem, lift wars, defund the police, and our mailbag. I finally got a letter. (laughs) The revolt of the social media savvy conservatives and the fourth part of our series on Antifa versus Mike Strickland. Let's ease into the presidential race, shall we? Because this is going to be fun. By the way, he's not president-elect Joe Biden. Not yet. He may be. But he isn't yet. The media don't get to call that. I'm not sure if you know this, but generally it's the states that do their own calling of the elections, and they don't have to be certified for a bit yet. And there are a hell of a lot of lawsuits going on right now. But like a major league catcher trying to frame a pitch out of the strike zone to fake out an umpire, the Democrats in and out of the media are trying to call this presidential race. But caution, as I say, he may not be. He may not be. But as an aside, the businesses in D.C., Portland, Seattle, Kenosha, Atlanta may want to put up the boards again just in case President Trump wins because they took them off after the election. Slightly, oh, Joe won. Joe won, they said. So that means there won't be any riots because... They were appeased. The mob was appeased. But were they and will they be? No, no. The D.C. stores started taking down the boards over the windows a couple of days after the election because they're not buying the pant load that the media peddled that both sides are rioting either. (laughs) I mean, get out of here. Of course they're not. Uh, you know, people are people of the Republican Party. You see all the memes. Hey, where do I get my my torch, my fire starter? Uh, how do you make a Molotov cocktail anyway? It all started in Kenosha, of course. And this was not the election riot. This is the other riot, the George Floyd riots that were used as an excuse for everybody to riot for a period of time over 120 days of riotous hell in the city of Portland, for example, to be angry over something that happened half a country away. Uh, but nevertheless, I just wanted to let you know that Target in Minneapolis is reopened now. They've put it back together. They This is the one that was burned and looted and destroyed. Uh, not all of it. The facade was still left over, which I think was very nice of the rioters to not destroy everything. But Target is now reopened, and it looks just like Target always has until the next riot, in which case it'll probably be... Eh, destroyed again, except this time, you you might be interested in this. This time, Target in Minneapolis is going to include covers over the windows, blinds, not blinds, but uh, things that you can put over the windows like storm shutters, so that when the rioting and looting start again, and, and it will, because they've already been given permission, big old ole from the cop shop, Uh, They can close it so that people can't break the windows and get into the store and steal everything again. But Target promises. This is a Target's vow. It's promise. It's earnest promise. Hand crossed over their heart. 
scouts on her, they, are, they plan not to be racist anymore. They're going to try. They're going to try. So to the extent that they are trying, they have hired some folks, uh, Somali-American people, who I guess will have um, some say in how the stores run, and halal. So, I mean, it's sort of a win-win kind of a deal. They promise that the pharmacy has been moved up to the front of the store for easier access to narcotics, I think. Perhaps that's not right. They, they did that. Probably so. Oh, I know. Elderly customers can eagerly and easily, she tried to say, get their prescriptions. I'm reading here now from the uh, local rag in Minneapolis. Um, the grocery was stocked with more varieties of spices now because, you know, they want to be racially sensitive. So more spice, closer drugs, and they have a crosswalk now into the Target facility from the light rail train. Apparently that crosswalks are uh, not racist. I mean, you know, you pay attention. These things are important. When you are re-envisioning your city, you will have to come up with brilliant ideas like this. They are also very upset over in Minneapolis <clears throat> that the target in Minneapolis, where all the writing was, was called a Targetto. Now, that's what was in the local paper, but it doesn't point to any evidence that people called it the Targetto, which is entirely, it's possible. Who knows? Maybe even people in the community called it the Targetto because they were sick and tired of the store being racist in nature. No, of course it wasn't. I mean, they have 5% of their upper management is black, but apparently... That's not enough in uh, Target's realm. The main headquarters is located in Minneapolis. And so they say that 13.4% of the U.S. population and about 20% of Minneapolis is black. So what's wrong with you guys? Is there a point at which, let me just ask you, it's, it's, a, it's really a fair question, but trigger alert for any crazy person listening if there are people of color that you want to hire, but they don't have the advanced degrees or whatever it is that you're looking for in the upper management of the target headquarters, um, what, what are you supposed to do? I mean, I get the fact that you can go into the schools and say, we're going to give you a big scholarship if you go and get your MBA somewhere. You have to stay in school and you have to get good grades and we're going to pay for it. That's cool. And companies do that all the time. But if you don't have a plethora of black people in Minneapolis, which I assume they want, the people from the community, uh, then what are you supposed to do? Target, uh, good luck with that. <sighs> They're creating uh, environments where black guests feel overtly welcome suggesting many shoppers did not feel welcome, which is odd. They call it the, it was catering to white people. So that's what Target believes their customers think. So the Target diversity and inclusion chief officer and the vice president of human resources says that they're switching it up. Switching it up. So that's good news. Meantime, in Minneapolis, where they've defunded the police... Because that was such a great idea, wasn't it? That was fantastic. The 
folks who are there, like the police and other city council members, are going, huh, you know, hold on here. Uh, can we get a do-over on that? Because crime's going up. Violent crime is going up. What are we supposed to do here when you can't call a cop? I don't know. Figure it out. I noticed that right after this whole event started, you know, where the Minneapolis Police Department said, hey, uh, uh, or the city council said, hey, uh, we're going to defund you guys. And then they all went out and got private security. That tells you really all you need to know. I know hypocrisy abounds. However, there's hypocrisy and there's whatocracy. And this was a whatocracy. Like, what is going on here? Speaking of hypocrisy, in Portland, Oregon, where they had a bunch of riots, uh, they also tried to defund the police department. They want to remove $15 million from said budget, which is not, um, it's a lot. It's not everything, but it's a lot. And so one of the city council persons, Joanne Hardesty, who used to be Joanne Bowman, but I like to call her now that she's changed her name again to Joanne Hardesty. I'd like it to be known that she will heretofore be referred to as Joanne Travesty. Because old Joanne, and I mean old Joanne, has decided that this money needs to be away. She said right after the election, we're taking another step. We're going to reduce the amount of money that goes to the cop shop. And by the way, I'd like to be in charge of it. She she tried to wrest control of the police department from Ted Wheeler, who, let's face it, the guy's just not up to it. But even he is better than Joanne Travesty. So here's what happened the other day. And you may have heard this on the news and may not have known where this was from. But Joanne Travesty was in the back of a Lyft car. She called the Rider app that you do on your phone. And, and you make the contact and they send a driver. It's just an amazing thing. It's the gig economy that California and now Oregon uh, want to destroy. However, Joanne used it. Joanne Travesty used it, and she was very, very, very upset because the driver cracked his window, and we shan't have for that. We shan't have an open window because it's, well, it's, it's hella cold in the Pacific Northwest right now, and Joanne was a little chilly. But apparently the Lyft handbook says you have to keep one of the windows cracked. I don't know why. Maybe it's a COVID thing, for all I know. And she called the police <laughs> when the guy, I'm sorry to laugh, when the guy wouldn't close the window because it's against the company policy or his policy or whatever it is. Who cares? Honest to goodness. She's calling the cops. The woman who wants to defund the cop shop is calling the cops and she refuses to get out of the doggone car until such time that a police officer comes over and gets her another ride. And and, and he has to get her another ride. Someone must get the imperious Joanne Travesty another ride. Because Joanne is very, very angry. And the cop dispatcher, she called 911, says, I'm sorry, but you actually have to initiate a new ride. He doesn't actually do that for you. You have to do that. What are we, are we just so pampered at the 
Portland City Council that they don't realize that they have to pick up a phone, punch the numbers, say, okay, plot a map by yourself to get a ride? I, I just want to be clear about that. How how dumb do you have to be? And by the way, Joanne Hardesty, knee travesty, used to be Joanne Bowman, who seemed to make a lot of sense. She used to be in Salem and state lawmaker, and now she's an imperious Portland City commissioner, who I'm sure is making a lot more money being on the commission and pretending to do stuff that helps people, except trying to defund police who can't be called when your lift ride is not just doing what you want them to do. I digress, didn't I? Here's the latest state of play and what's going on in the presidential contest. And I was going to have Kurt Schlichter on today, but he bailed. And that's okay, because we can do it ourselves. So it's so close in Georgia that it has gone to an automatic recount. This is making people very, very, very quaky. Probably Joanne Travesty is very upset about the fact that Georgia has gone to a recount. Trump was awarded Alaska, North Carolina, and the Democrats on the Pennsylvania Supreme Court disregarded the Republican legislature's legally passed laws on elections. And then here's what they did. This, I think this was last summer. So what they did was they got themselves uh, like a large grenade. They pulled the pin and in a timed explosive device, they rolled that bad boy into the election law in the state of Pennsylvania and it just blew up on November 3rd. Yeah, because it's a mess. And it ain't it ain't Trump, man. Trump's just finding out all kinds of stuff. We've got, uh, in fact, in fact, they just filed a 100-plus page lawsuit. My husband and, and I were lying in bed last night, and he goes, what are you reading? And I go, it's a lawsuit in Pennsylvania. It takes forever. But then one of my colleagues, Tyler O'Neill, over at PJ Media, did a bullet point thing, and it was better than mine, so I'm going to use his. Here's what they did. The whole lawsuit is based on equal protection, right? Equal protection. It's based on the fact that the state legislature did not make the rules. That is a constitutional mandate that all election laws be from representative government, in this case, in all cases, the state legislature. They didn't do that. The state Supreme Court came back and rewrote the laws. The Trump lawyers months ago filed a lawsuit against all of it. And then the Supreme Court said, yeah, they did the old, uh, oh, hey, man, it's not us. And that's when Chief Justice John Roberts sided with the liberals to get a 4-4 tie so that the U.S. Supreme Court would not be obligated to rule on this obvious unconstitutional play by the state Supreme Court. It's because, hey, man, we don't want another Bush v. Gore. Well, guess what? Not only do they have another really bad Bush v. Gore situation, but they have... Worse than Bush v. Gore. Because you know what? The Supreme Court's going to have to get involved again, which we told you about last time that we visited together. It's so nice to have this time together. So we have that. They shut down the observers. The mail-in ballots uh, were just begging for fraud. This is an argument that they made in the 100-page plus uh, plus page lawsuit filed 
in the state of Pennsylvania. The voter database is not updated and nobody's is, but they're bringing it up as a point because they say, hey, man, what what the heck is going on here? You guys have not cross-pollinated your voting lists with change of address stuff and death announcements. What is wrong with you? And of course, when you mail out ballots to people who didn't even ask for them, you have got a cauldron of spaz and it's called a mess. And that's what we have here. So here are the other 10 things that uh, my colleague Tyler pointed out. Ignoring mail ballot safeguards. Totally ignored it. No ID, no postmarks. I've told you about this before. We've been down this road before. Everybody everybody gets a ballot and you get a ballot and you get a ballot and you get a ballot. Confusing guidance. Now, this is an interesting thing I hadn't gotten to in the lawsuit yet, but the secretary of state or whatever they had, the Commonwealth uh, Bookvar, Kathy Bookvar, sent all 67 county election boards guidance, claiming that so-called naked ballots should be counted pursuant to the Pennsylvania Election Code. And a ballot is considered naked if it is not returned in the secret secrecy envelope. And on September 17th, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court rejected that And she never sent any clarified guidance on it to any of the 67 county election boards. So, you know, it's just one of those things where you might not think that's a big deal, but it is. Like, for instance, if there's a lawsuit against a company, I don't know, let's say Target. And the first thing an attorney does is ask for discovery of the policy book, the handbook, the employee handbook, all of it from the head office. That's this kind of a deal. And they win cases based on the employee handbook. Well, that was that part of your training? So this is a legitimate point. You may not think so, but it is. The other thing is, is that they trashed the military ballots. Sure, there were only something on the order of nine of them. But nine times what? Unsecured voting. Poll watchers watched people and they could tell how they were voting. That's bogus, man. You're not supposed This is a secret ballot. Hello? This thing on? That's a, we're supposed to have a secret ballot. Um, New Jersey voters. Check this out. They had people from New Jersey with New Jersey ID coming over to Pennsylvania to vote. <laughs> what? What fresh hell is this? <laughs> well... I got two ballots. My husband got two ballots. We got one from California, one from Washington State. Ooh, let's think. Which one will we vote? Hey, let's vote them all. We didn't, of course. Changing votes for Trump. Observers claimed to have witnessed an election worker alter the results of the ballot. Also, this is hinky. What they also did was, I think this this was um, in Michigan where they have another lawsuit. There are people, county workers, who went to, if for instance someone came in to vote in person, went over to the ballot place, the poll, and watched them vote and 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 coached them. Coached them. This just in. That is a bozo no no. Okay, so that's the situation in Pennsylvania. This is a big deal. So we have lawsuits in Nevada, Arizona. Uh, We've got them going on in Georgia. We've got a recount going there as well, but they're at the ready. 
So there are very, uh, there's a lot of crap going on. And don't you want to know uh, who won? Don't you really want to know who won? Also, there's a, it's a less, I think, reliable report. But there's a report that uh, some people, some postal workers franked ballots before they were sent. So that was some hinky stuff going on there. And also we're beginning to see uh, some folks who are doing the deep dive data stuff finding uh, fraud. I mean, it's fraud. Dead people. You expect some dead people to vote, but not to the extent they are. You've got people voting twice. You've got people uh, who are are dead, but they voted, uh, as I just mentioned. But you know, we've got ballots going to multiple ballots going to one address. I mean, multiple ballots. This happened in Oregon. In 1988, we were sold a bill of goods in the state of Oregon. Hey, you know, this this mail-in balloting, this is the best thing ever. It's going to increase the um, number of people who come out and vote and all that stuff. Well, first of all, they don't come out to vote anymore. Second of all, there hasn't been one time since then. Oh, I sorry. I lied. One time that a Republican has held a statewide office since then. Coincidence? No one thinks so. Okay, let's see. What else do I have here? Lawsuit in Michigan. (laughs) You know what I think? You know what I think? Those people in Pennsylvania and Detroit, they need a Britney Spears-like conservatorship. They need somebody to watch over their behinds because... They're not doing it right. Now, of course, Kathy Bookmar, who's the Secretary of Commonwealth in Pennsylvania, says, oh, this is bogus. This is just posturing by the Republicans. Oh, you better believe it is. Absolutely. Just like they would be doing if the shoe were on the other foot. But Trump doesn't have the media in his pocket, so they didn't declare him the winner. That's how close these things are. Uh, nevertheless, don't believe her. It's not, it ain't over. It ain't over. So stay tuned for that. Now, the other thing that you need to know about, a couple of things. State of Oregon, bleeding edge of stupidity every single time. The COVID relief grants are available for Oregon hookers. You heard me right. Oregon hookers, sex workers, Strippers and sex workers around Oregon can now apply for federally funded COVID relief. PDX Stripper Strike, the Portland chapter of the Haymarket Poll Collective, you heard me right, was recently awarded $600,000 in a COVID relief grant from the Oregon Health Authority. So, hey, so sorry. COVID's really ruining your sex worker life. I mean, I'm so sorry that you can't turn as many tricks as you wanted because of COVID. I mean, it's really hard, you know, with a mask on. But, hey, don't fear. We're going to, we got your back. Oregon's got your back because we're so open-minded. That's what they would have you believe. Well, you are a racist. I just wanted you to know that. You are a racist and, let's see, what, oh, you're a fascist and you're a Nazi and you're really dumb. Now, how come I say that? Well, I can say that because that's what everybody else says. On social media, where conservatives have begun to 
jump ship on Twitter and on Facebook. Now, a lot of people have, but last Tuesday, I think it was, Parler doubled the number of people using its social media platform. And the thing is, is that USA Today, I write over at PJ Media, so go check that story out. The, the headline of the story is, with stupefying cluelessness, media criticized conservative, conservative tech refugees for fleeing censorship. Twitter censors the president of the United States for making claims media tech giants deem are in dispute. People on Facebook are prevented from sharing stories about election fraud because the ones and zeros working in content moderation say claims in a lawsuit aren't true. They've done that. Well, have they read the lawsuit? Uh, no. They just, oh, well, it, it's a person in favor of Trump. Must be wrong. Everything is racist, sexist, iffy, and off-putting for tech's child content moderators who apparently believe that media is made for censoring. They believe they are a firewall protecting these dumb adults from bad information because they know what's best. And conservatives are getting out. More conservative Twitter, Google, YouTube, Facebook users are like businesses in California. Their signs are still up, but they expanded the business somewhere else. So that's why Parler, MeWe, Rumble, and Gab, and I would uh, also include Minds, are blown up. People are just getting the heck off of Facebook. Okay, well, I'll be there just to make sure that um, I get my cat videos for my friend or I can see somebody feeding the deer in their backyard. But other than that, I'm not going to be expanding my presence there. I've, I had a friend of mine tell me today that he's going to be on, I think it's MeWe, and I'll tell you where I'm at. I'm, I'm just getting confused. I'm, I'm on so many platforms now that I just... Well, anyway, I'll get to that in a second. I was going to say, just put my name in. You'll find me. You will. You will. But a friend of mine said, okay, so I'm going to do nothing but political content on MeWe. And on Facebook, I'm just going to keep it kind of low key. Okay. I do nothing but political content on Facebook. If you follow me on Facebook at Victoria Taft and the Victoria Taft Show, in addition, of course, to the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft, I mean, it's nothing but politics. Uh, if there's anything having to do with society or culture, it always harkens back to politics for me. That's always my touchstone. So this is very interesting to me that people are actually picking and choosing how they will be seen on these different media platforms. So it used to be that standing against censorship was normal, I write here over at PJ Media, but the legacy news media have now decided that there's something sinister about this wave of tech refugees seeking a better, more honest place to call home. And this is what USA Today said. Conservatives increasingly are congregating on social media outlets designed specifically for people who think like them. Now, without irony... People observing the exodus claim it must be because conservatives are want to stay in their own echo chambers. And surely there is some truth to wanting to be with like-minded people. That's why the left loves legacy social media. They run it, contour the content to the way of thinking, and censor, report, and hector people who don't think like them. They own the medium. This may sound like a leftist love fest, I write, and it is. 
But being conservative on these social media sites is like going to dinner at your sister's where she thinks it's perfectly okay to call you a hoe because you disagree with her. With no self-reflection, a reporter at USA Today constructed a narrative on the exodus claiming it's all conservatives' fault because they're closed-minded and extremists. And then they go into three paragraphs I included in my story to talk about that. Leftists, I write, believe Donald Trump is a Russian secret agent. Hillary would have been elected, but for Russian Facebook ads. And the black man running Proud Boys is a white nationalist. And Brett Kavanaugh was a serial rapist who gave out red cups with roofies. But sure, conservatives are the weirdos. Yeah, keep reading. It's, it's actually, I, it's actually a, a good piece. And I wrote it. It's kind of cool to see your stuff in writing. It's one thing to be on the radio, which I've been on the radio for a lot of years. Let's just put it that way. Podcasts are fun because they're shorter than a four-hour radio show or a three-hour radio show. But nevertheless, I invite you to comment and rate this podcast. And I want you to rate it five stars on Apple Podcast. And I want you to review it and give me an excellent review because ain't nobody doing this on podcasting the way I do it. So just say that. You can say that, but just rate and review. Thank you. How do you do that? Well, go to Apple Podcasts, get it. I'm on anchor.fm, which is a fantastic anchor place to be with my podcast. I'm on Spotify, Google, uh, Breaker, Pocket Casts, you name it. Rate, review. Also, social media-wise, I'm on Parler, MeWe, Minds, M-I-N-D-S, Twitter and Facebook under Victoria Taft. I'm also on the Adult in the Room podcasts on Facebook and Instagram and Adult in the at Twitter. I'm also at The Victoria Taft Show on Facebook as well. That's actually easier because you can just like that page and just follow along. And now let's go to the, the mailbag. Is there some song I should play at this point? Mailbag, mailbag. I got the mail, 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 mailbag. Promise I'll never do that again. I have one note. Well, actually, I get lots of notes. I mean, I get more social media comments than I can deal with. But if you really want to send me a letter that I actually read, do it over. Let's see, where shall I have you do it? Um, Victoria at VictoriaTaft.com. How's that? This one came through my VictoriaTaft.com website, which is where Antifa knows to find me. So that's why I got this one from Paul. Or is it Polly? Good luck, he writes, with James Peach and Mike Bluehair, the people who have been featured prominently in my series, Antifa versus Mike Strickland. If they speak out against Antifa, they'll likely be eliminated at this point. Uh, shit's changed lately, and simply being considered a collaborator due to association can get a person targeted. And when you're talking a crazed mob, that can translate to killed. Well, they knew what they were doing when they talked to me, and that was in 2016. Maybe things have changed. And in fact, you know, Mike Bluehair has gotten in touch with me over the years since I started investigating the story and said, hey, when are you going to run your series of reports? And 
So he hasn't been in the dark on the fact that I'm going to use all of this in this report. And I did kind of step back a little bit and say, mm, you know, I'm worried about those guys. But, um, you know, I got permission to use their fake ID, which is basically what the, their identifications are. They're just nom de guerres. And I, and I use that um, intentionally. So with that in mind, let's take a listen. I'll see you next time. But let's take a listen to Antifa versus Mike Strickland on the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. Get out of here, racist. I'm not a racist. You don't get out of here. Don't put your hands on me. Don't put your hands on me. Get out of here, racist. Don't put your hands on me. Do not put your hands on me. Do not put your hands on me. Put your hands on me. Don't do it. Don't do it. He's got a gun! He's got a gun! I don't know why. Hey, stop, stop, stop. Everybody needs to get the hell back! Get the hell back! Get the hell back! Someone dying by my side. Late nights on the balcony, listening to the rain pour, dripping off the building and hitting the concrete floor, searching for my soulmate. City of the roses, everybody showing love, but my heart stays frozen. I just want to be chosen to be the single handed reason that you wake up in the morning. I think about you when I'm all alone, and I don't know if I can make it through this on my own. Before the nightly riots we've seen in the news, there was one case the first case, the case of Mike Strickland. Now at noon, another court appearance today for the man caught on camera waving a gun at protesters in Portland last month, and now he faces a lot more charges. Michael Strickland faces 21 counts connected to that incident. He was a journalist who was beaten by Antifa and Black Lives Matter protesters, and he defended himself from the mob with his legal gun, and not a shot was fired. Our position hasn't changed. Our client's position has not changed. That he is not guilty, that he was using the um, weapon to protect himself, and he was doing so within his rights. The only one hurt that day in July of 2016 was Mike Strickland. And the only one punished was Mike Strickland, the victim. I'm of the firm and steadfast opinion that when they come for Strickland's rights, they're coming for mine next. See, Antifa says it's anti-fascist, but Antifa is really anti-First Amendment. It's going back to the street violence of the 1920s and 1930s as a technique and a tactic. And the court system doesn't realize it's happening. This is the story of Mike Strickland. In our last episode, Antifa versus Mike Strickland, we learned about the person who instigated the July 16th attack on the Portland, Oregon-based videographer. Strickland was recording a Black Lives Matter, Don't Shoot Portland, anti-gun and anti-police rally in March. We heard last time that the instigator, Ben Carenza, admitted to setting off the crowd against Strickland, which forced the reporter to pull his ever-present Glock pistol and ward off the oncoming mob. It happened all without a shot being fired. Carenza called Strickland a racist and told him to get out racist 
To anyone who knows Strickland, it was a laughable epithet, even to his enemies, as we've heard, and to his fellow protest videographers. Robert West films for a group he called at the time, Film the Police 911. Everyone in the protest community calls him Uncle Bob. There was yelling back and forth. Uh, basically, what he was yelling, stay away from me, stay away from me. Why would he say that? Uh, there was, um, I believe that there was um, threats toward him. Um, he's uh, he's someone that a lot of activists don't like. I'm someone that a lot of activists don't like, but I don't carry a gun. Um, and so that was the situation there. And they don't like him, why? Um, it goes all the way back to Occupy. Um, he's, uh, um, he'll talk about, um, and make fun of protests and stuff like that. That's what's happening with him. That's what, that's what people talk about him. Witnesses, including Strickland, say the nearly 400-pound black block outfitted Antifa acolyte grabbed the reporter and attempted to physically throw him out of the protest. Strickland moved back, but when he didn't leave, Carenza got together a mob of Antifa and BLM helpers to finish what he'd started. He spun up the Black Lives Matter anti-cop protesters by telling them that Strickland was a, quote, white nationalist. Where did they get the idea about, of all people, the liberal-minded libertarian Mike Strickland? Did they make it up out of whole cloth? Entirely possible. The protest community is one big blob of rumors. But Strickland's videos on a local college's confab on the scourge of whiteness had made national news. It angered the protests set no end. Local news followed later. Strickland turned the camera on these public lectures and commenters said they looked dumb. People mocked them, questioned their motives. Bill O'Reilly of Fox News went on about it. Mike Strickland went from being just some guy running a laughing at liberals YouTube channel to being viewed as an enemy who needed to get got. Remember now, this is 2016, back when a few people knew what an Antifa was. Black Lives Matter wasn't the Marxist incorporated juggernaut it is now. When it called someone a racist or a white nationalist, the group had the perceived moral authority to do so. Everyone else got in line. Many American people have grown leery of the basket of deplorable name game by now, but at that moment in time, it was kryptonite, a reputation killer. People predisposed to hating Strickland grabbed onto the phrase. They test drove it one month before he was victimized and attacked by the mob in July. Strickland narrates his own abuse in a video at a vigil to react and heal from the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, Florida, which had just happened. This was in June. It was a newsworthy event, which Strickland came to record. Towards the end of it, I noticed incoming mayor Ted Wheeler chatting with ceasefire organ director Penny Okamoto, a couple of Moms Demand Action members, and anti-gun interim police chief Donna Henderson. I just wanted to get a shot of them chatting when I happened to notice people pointing at me and mumbling something about white nationalist.
Obviously, these people have some kind of issue with me, so I started moving off to the side. When all of a sudden... What the hell are you talking about, dude? No, we saw what you wrote. What are you What are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't want to be allies. What? I have no idea what she's talking about. The usual Portland professional protesters were in attendance. There was Jesse Sponberg, one of Occupy Portland's proponents, who would later find himself spread eagle on the ground next to Strickland after the latter pulled his gun only one month later. Police thought they were together. Hardly. As a matter of fact, Sponberg was filming Strickland being told by the crowd to stop filming. He was laughing at and mocking Strickland because his friends were beefing him. Nearby, the object of many hours of Strickland mockery was Penny Okamoto of the anti-gun group Ceasefire Oregon, who was also training her cell phone on Strickland, filming the event, hoping he'd do something rash. No one had a problem with her filming either. No one had a problem with the other mainstream news media filming the event. A man in a sundress pointed and screamed at Strickland, calling him a white nationalist. Strickland said, hey, dude, hold on, or something like that. This became their excuse for calling Strickland, whose best friend is gay, a homophobe. Along came another protest regular, who figures prominently in the Strickland saga. He was also at the Orlando shooting vigil. And a month later, he would be one of the organizers at the BLM Don't Shoot Portland event. He would later confess to conspiring with Carenza and others to have Strickland physically thrown out, beaten out of that rally. He came up to Strickland's camera and shouted out his name, where he worked, and the phone number that he could be reached at for some reason. Strickland kept it in his video. Remember this. It comes back as a key piece of information later. The usual Portland professional protesters were there at that June 2016 event, and they came for Strickland to label and malign him as a white nationalist. Instead of paying attention to the speakers in the vigil, people took their time of mourning, that's what they called it, to tell Strickland he wasn't wanted there. You're not welcome. You're not welcome at all. You're not welcome. You're not welcome. What? I don't know what you guys are talking about. Don't come towards me, man. You're not welcome here, man. What do you mean not welcome here? My name is Michael. Hi. I'd like to chat with you guys. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what's going on here. Let me put it this way. So you're not doing... No, no, no. Hey. Don't touch my camera. Don't touch my camera. You can tell him, you can feel me, John Slaughter, PCC, I'm the girls' head coach. One guy later identified as Micah Fletcher decided to try to explain to Strickland why he should leave. You're not doing anything wrong, but you're clearly upsetting people, right? What did I do to upset anyone? I don't know, and that's really not relevant if you think about it. What really is relevant is this. You care about these people, correct? That's I care about everyone. Exactly. So why not leave? I don't know why and, I and have I to leave. Why am I being excluded? I don't know what no, they're talking no, no, about. No, nobody's trying to exclude you, my friend. All we're trying to say, rather simply, really, is that since your presence here is upsetting people, for whatever reason that may be, I don't the know. best thing you could do as a person... I'm 
trying to make amends here. I'm trying to make amends. Make amends by turning the off and leave. That's what you right. do. I want to talk and see what the what all the commotion is about. I don't know what people are going on about me about. This is the time of morning. People here are morning. It's not. I know. I don't know why people are getting in my face all of a sudden, screaming and yelling at me. But think about that, boss. If this is the time of morning and nobody's sitting here trying, like this isn't a riot. Nobody's trying to protest or anything like that. Obviously, nobody's doing this just to be an asshole. I know, I know. And perhaps they're wrong. I That's d- fair. But since people are mourning, right. it would be in your best interest as a human being to respect. I'm not attacking. Right. I'm not. I don't think I'm, I'm not disrespecting anyone. If I've done something to disrespect someone tonight, of course not on purpose. You would be. No, I don't know what they're talking about with fair that. Fair enough. No, and that's fair enough, boss. But but the, they're the afraid. Still I'm hearing stand. people of color. Whether or not you are or are not representing white nationalists, there are people who are afraid to have their face filmed by you. We don't need more fear. So, I wasn't. I wasn't filming any of them. I don't know what. I don't know what the commotion you is are, about. Okay. You are, uh, I'm a video. Video news videographer. That's I fun. film things on the streets that happen. That's fun. My name's Michael. That's lovely, Michael. I'm Micah. It's a pleasure. Good, to meet good you. to meet you. But the point of the matter is, you're making people uncomfortable. I don't understand. No, I'm not like, responsible for someone for else's instance, feelings. Okay. Okay. Ashley, you are. Because guess what? You came to a, the essentially a few. Right. For 50 people who died. Right. And I'm here also in morning. That's fine. That's great. But unfortunately, by being here morning, what you're doing is you're freeing a bunch of people out. Now I'm not going to tell you. I don't know why. I don't know what you're about. I don't. Right, and I'm, I'm, that's why. Thank you for having a conversation with me here. You know, like I said, I'm a news videographer. I run YouTube channels. I sell videos of crazy things happening on the street. I'm and here to check things out. That's 100 lovely, man. So instead of mourning, they decided to go after Strickland. Notably, 11 months later, Micah Fletcher the guy who fancied himself as a master negotiator with Strickland, got himself involved in another incident that was none of his business and that nearly cost him his life. Fletcher was trying to shut down, talk over an out-of-control man, reportedly by their lights saying racist things to two girls on the Max light rail train, one of whom was wearing a Muslim hijab. Later, in court, a man by the name of Jeremy Christian a mentally ill Bernie bro blamed Fletcher for so annoying him and spinning him up that he knifed two other men antagonizing him with Fletcher. He killed them. Fletcher's neck was sliced, but he survived. Quoting from the Oregonian synopsis of the horrific crime, Christian has largely blamed Fletcher for the stabbings, arguing he acted in self-defense after Fletcher and the other two men, to differing degrees, challenged him because he was exercising his right to free speech. Jeremy Christian is in prison, where he should be. Micah Fletcher survived. But for Strickland, the left had marked him. They were going to ruin his name, his livelihood, his reputation, and they were willing to lie to do it. Lurking in the back of the crowd, watching and taking photos of the Pulse nightclub vigil in Portland in June of 2016, was Ben Carenza. Nobody was stopping him from filming the event either. The person who put the hit out, so to speak, on Mike Strickland, Ben Carenza. Carenza is no choir boy, not by a long shot. Doxing, attacking, singling out, defaming are his specialty especially if he can make it all about him. 
He's a fabulist and a dangerous one, a professional impersonator, hacker, and bomb hoaxer. And he was coming for Strickland. In 2003, Carenza lived in San Francisco. He was young and stupid. Apparently homeless, though, this might just be part of his own made-up lore. As I wrote at victoriataft.com about Carenza, one of the interesting things about the nearly 400-pound person is that he has an odd way of simply showing up and becoming part of stories. After the incident in 2016, he gleefully bounded up to a friend and fellow anarchist who was recording the event to tell him that he made Strickland draw his weapon. Continuing from my article at victoriataft.com, as I've recounted before, according to news accounts and court records, Carenza did time in federal prison for making bomb threats to a former employer, a movie theater, and to a U.S. Navy ship. Also, the tech confab known as Oracle World in the Bay Area. 11,000 people were forced to evacuate the event from the Moscone Center at the time. Carenza made the bomb threat calls from the offices of a man running for mayor of San Francisco. This is an office where Carenza volunteered. Volunteers recalled in a news account that the young man sat around eating the free food and trolling the internet. Sometimes he spent the night in the office. Sure, that's totally normal. Police called Carenza an anti-establishment hacker. Authorities probably characterized him this way, I write, because of his attempted takeover of a company called Nation Host and engaged in alleged fraud and other activities. From SF Gate, the San Francisco Chronicle online presence, quote, he has a background as a computer hacker and apparently was upset with the establishment as a whole, said police inspector Rich Moses. He was taking it out on the establishment with these false threats. From the article, Carenza was charged Tuesday under a federal law against maliciously conveying false information through telephonic bomb threats. Less than five years after that Oracle World federal prison stint, Carenza was out and slithered up to Oregon. He was caught in several counties in Oregon doing illegal activities over a period of time. But then he settled in on making fraudulent phone calls again. Sound familiar? According to federal sentencing documents, Carenza pretended to be special FBI agent in charge Richard Ellis. He called for SWAT teams to surround a Salem hospital and other illegal mischief that could have gotten someone killed. He particularly loved to make fake 911 calls. He moved to Portland, where at some point he got into the protest scene. Strickland and other videographers made fun of Carenza. They called him creepy. So Carenza did what he does best. He attacked Strickland using any means necessary to exact his revenge. In prison, Carenza studied law, learned cop lingo, and he often represents himself in court. He went to court to get Strickland and third parties, that's me, to stop writing about him because it was making him look bad or something. At the July 2016 protest, Carenza went from the instigator and assaulter to being Strickland's victim, as we've explained. And he was only too happy to impersonate being a victim. And the Portland DA's office was delighted, too. As Oregon Firearms Federation leader Kevin Starrett told me back in 2016, 
When prosecutors found out it was laughing at liberals they had, everything changed. I do think that the the way that the, the, the authorities responded was entirely a result of who they figured out they had. Because when they, I mean, there were comments made in, in court by district assistant district attorneys attacking Michael and making comments about what he did, not, not what he did professionally, but, you know, that he was... He was a white supremacist and all this nonsense, which, of course, is utterly untrue. You know, uh, implications that he's a homophobe when his closest friend is gay. And so what they, they, they got somebody who'd been embarrassing leftists for years because he exposed what they really were. You know, all he did was videotape them and let them make fools of themselves. And what a perfect opportunity to silence him. Because he was more effective than most people because he would do things nobody else would do. His attorneys, Chris Trotter and Jason Short, who had litigated many self-defense cases, were hired to represent Strickland from these charges. They were immediately put under a gag order on discovery-related issues. Something was very wrong at the prosecutor's office. Attorney Chris Trotter. Something was different. And when you look into what makes that difference... Um, it seems like the X factor is politics, political affiliation, it appears to me. And Mr. Strickland, it's no secret, is a videographer. He's obviously got the things that he produces online and, and publicly available. And he's, um, the type of work that he's done has gone to um, expose corruption. And given the uh, power structure, given the, um, who's in power in this area, that it typically has been people on the left. And so those same people are in power, and those are the people who enforce the laws. Those are the people that decide who gets charged, who doesn't get charged. And it seems clear to us from everything that we can see, looking at using police lingo, this totality of the circumstances, looking at everything, it seems that the reason he's – because there's no question he's been treated differently. And it appears that the reason, the basis for that differential treatment appears to be his political affiliation. And there was something else, too. This wasn't the first time the Multnomah County, Portland, District Attorney's Office put their thumb on the scales of justice when it had to do with Mike Strickland. Next time on Antifa versus Mike Strickland. This week's episode of the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is brought to you by VictoriaTaft.com and... Our Antifa action figures, just in time for your Christmas buying season. There's Radar from Soy Stream News, Miss Warlord, and our special collection of the real housewives of Antifa. Batgirl, the Antifa camp counselors, and much, much more. Look for my web store soon at Zazzle. Get the link at victoriataft.com soon and put your favorite characters on shirts, mugs, masks, stationery. Mock your favorite leftist. Collect all 12 initial characters and make a calendar. Enjoy these unique and beautifully illustrated figures. Uh, Not the way they see themselves, but the way we see them. Editing, mastering, advertising, technical support, and understanding for the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is by 1Acast. The music is gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for the case of Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by RC, and it is used by permission. Find RC on all social sites at Raps by RC, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and Instagram at Raps by RC. 
Imaging for the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is by 1A Cast. Logo by Hageman Creative. Find him on Instagram. Photo of Victoria Taft is by Hilly Collective. The Adult in the Room podcast is produced by Flamingo Road Studios. All rights reserved. <laughs>